afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to Sons of Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Wojak, and I'm joined alongside Luke Smith, and we're here to recap Notre Dame's 38-27 loss to USC on Saturday. Luke and I were both there in the Coliseum on Saturday night. Luke has since returned home to Chicago. I'm still here. Uh, And Luke, I gotta say, one of our favorite mantras is, there ain't no curses. I'm starting to think you and I might actually be cursed. Yeah, I'm not sure we're allowed to hang out anymore. <laughs> um, I, we, we do not have a very good track record when we're in the same city. Uh, I mean, nothing really bad has happened, but Notre Dame certainly doesn't respond when we're in the same city. Notre Dame does not play well when we are sitting together in the crowd. Certainly didn't do that on Saturday, did not do that in the ACC championship game. And I think you and I were together for the... Tw- the 2017 Georgia game, too, for the world. Yep, yep. <laughs> and that wasn't great. Hopefully the next time we go together, uh, it turns out better than the last few. I think we're due for something good, or maybe that's just what I what I tell myself when I try and sleep at night. Anyways, maybe there are curses. <laughs> <laughs> maybe there are curses. I'm starting to reconsider uh, some things here. But with the loss, Notre Dame finishes the regular season 8-4, and four, Marcus Freeman's first season as, as head coach. We've got all season, or all off season rather, to reflect on the season as a whole. But for today, we're going to focus on what went down uh, on Saturday in the Coliseum and discuss what Notre Dame's top priorities should be as we start to turn the page to 2023 at the end. But before we do that, we ask that you please like and subscribe to the video if you're watching on YouTube. Even the USC fans that so graciously tuned into our preview show and then flooded our comments immediately after the game. You can like the video and subscribe as well. We appreciate all listeners, even you, obnoxious Trojan fan. Uh, And if you're listening to the podcast, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, wherever you're tuning in from. And uh, when we come back here, we'll give you our main takeaways from Notre Dame's disappointing loss to their rival. DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place a same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code SOS. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SOS. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback for those who crave activity. Use the promo code 
SUNSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. That's promo code SUNSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. Okay, I'll be the first to admit uh, that spirits were not particularly high as we left the game on Saturday. But now that a couple days have passed and we've had time to lick our wounds after the loss, what are some of your biggest takeaways? So I think one is that um, I was not really that impressed with the atmosphere at the Coliseum. And I keep hearing people say it was a really cool atmosphere. Uh, it was a really nice night. And like I had a lot of fun that weekend in general, but still pretty unimpressed with the USC fan base. Like They still can't fill up that stadium. Um, okay, I guess it's cool that Brian Cushing and Keyshawn Johnson were there, but... Like, why did people care that Will I Am was there? He hasn't been relevant since, I don't know, 2011. Like, wh- like, why was that supposed to be a cool thing? Roddy Rich, another C-list rapper, too. Apparently that was a big deal. Um, I just would say that stadium still wasn't full. And while I wouldn't say it was a bad atmosphere, it wasn't particularly close to what ND Clemson and ND was like, where everybody stood up the entire game in the stadium rock. But I guess that's just California sports for you. Yeah, I think it felt like a big game, and it was definitely a lot different compared to what they've been used to. Um, we were you can to... tell by the concession lines. <laughs> That's true. They were certainly not prepared at the gate either. Like Lines were bad. Fortunately, we were able to get in the stadium with ease. Beer line, different story. We did get to meet uh, Tariq Bracey's dad, though. Nice guy. Yeah, really nice guy. Uh, other than that, not great in-game experience there. And I think it's even been expressed by USC fans. Like, you would think that in a game like that, it was definitely the best atmosphere they've had all season, but the buy-in from the school and everyone else, uh, it just wasn't there. But it was still cool. I was really happy to be there. First time I was at a Notre Dame game since Toledo. So, again, I'm just on a on a pretty cold streak because even though Notre Dame won that game, it did not feel like a win. Uh, cool flyover, I guess, if we're, yeah. if we're talking positive atmosphere stuff. I did think there was a lot of Notre Dame fans there. I thought the turnout from Notre Dame was was pretty strong. Yeah, I mean, it seemed like our entire section was Notre Dame for the most part. I mean, we also we saw Jimmy Clausen when we walked in, so there's that. Um, trying to think what else. Yeah, other than that, you know, I, I can't actually say that I really had a ton of interaction with USC fans, except some guy after the game that tried talking to me, and I told him he was going to lose to Utah again. But um, other than that, like, it wasn't as like cocky and arrogant as I recall from past years probably because they're still getting used to somewhat being quote-unquote back which I'm still not really sure they are outside of the quarterback but um, I didn't have those same nasty interactions that I recall from I don't know eight ten years ago yeah the ones we encountered were pretty gracious but let's talk about that quarterback because man that sucked uh, watching him and I get that Notre Dame fans are super sick and tired of hearing about Caleb Williams and in the lead up, that's all everyone talked about. And the thing is, like, I'm annoyed with it too, but at the end of the day, the only way you can stop that talk is is by beating him. And Caleb Williams ran all over Notre Dame's defense, taunted him, and then he obviously had the fuck ND painted on his nails. He's been doing that all year. I knew about that. But it just sort of adds to his persona. And, like, what do you expect from a USC quarterback? Like, there's no world where USC is really good and they're not the villain. And Caleb Williams is, I would say, a bigger villain than Reggie Bush and Matt Liner. And that is crazy to think about that he's already reached that level in just one season. I was going to say he he does fit kind of the bill of those early P. Carroll teams very well. Um, actually, a quote that kind of came to mind 
today was uh, 2011 Bulls lose to the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, and Joakim Noah is asked about that you know, the big three LeBron and them. And he says, they're Hollywood as hell, but they're very good. Um, that's kind of Caleb Williams. Hollywood as hell, but he is very good. Yeah, so Notre Dame's going to have a chance to beat him again next year. And uh, that's part of the thing with your rival, right? Like when they when you lose to them, it hurts so much more. And it's so frustrating watching Caleb just tear apart Notre Dame's defense. But on the flip side of that, if Notre Dame were to beat him next year, it would be one of the most satisfying things ever just because he really is so hateable. And now, I mean, the Heisman is all but locked up for him. He's going to be the fourth USC. Well, well are they going to beat Utah? I don't know. Even if they were to lose to Utah, unless he plays horribly, who who's coming in second? Yeah, this is why I keep saying nobody deserved it this year. <laughs> <laughs> they just punt on the Heisman and just were like, you know yeah. what I mean? Are we looking? There was, I, I don't know. I think it must have been during our game because I just saw like a screen grab from a no-context college football um, tweet, but it was like, the Heisman finalists, and they just randomly threw up McCarthy in there because of his game on Saturday. Like, that kind of just, I think, shows you how just, like, nobody's really deserving of this award this year, um, especially when USC loses to Utah this week. But um, anyways, yes, he probably did lock it up because I don't know that they will lose to Utah. But if they did. If they were to lose, who would you give it to? Max Duggan, I guess, the TCU quarterback? Yeah, maybe. That's that's the thing. Once Ohio State got their doors blown off by by Michigan, that pretty much ended any chance of C.J. Stroud winning the Heisman. And then Blake Corum, who was Michigan's probably best candidate, he didn't even play in that game. So that that made it even more painful. He even did the Heisman post. He didn't do it immediately after the touchdown. Uh, he waited until he got to the sideline. But word about that got uh, got around to us in the stadium, and I, it just it was terrible, man. But. He wasn't the only reason, in my opinion, why Notre Dame lost. And I was really disappointed by Notre Dame's effort in the trenches on both sides of the ball. Like, we figured coming into this game that Notre Dame would win both battles decisively, and that just wasn't the case. Notre Dame combined for 90 rushing yards compared to USC's 204. That's that's already bad. And then you look at the yards per carry. Notre Dame had 3.5 yards per carry, and coming into this game, USC was... Uh, and I think in the 90s nationally, giving up like 4.2 yards per carry, that's inexplicable from Notre Dame to be a whole yard less practically. And then you got Austin Jones, who's their backup running back. He finishes the day with 6.16 yards per carry. Uh, he finished with 154 yards on 25 carries. And uh, I, I think as good as Caleb was, and he was definitely the reason why USC was able to win this one, the fact that Notre Dame lost both on the offensive line and the defensive line was just incredibly disappointing. Yeah, so I'm not sure um, how – I think some of the play with the offensive line early was not great um, and put Notre Dame in a bit of a hole, and that altered their game plan and how they played. Like, I mean, who thought Drew Pine was going to throw the ball 26 times before the game um, and complete 23 of them? Um, I don't think anybody. Uh, Notre Dame only ran the ball, essentially, if you take out sacks, 20 times which is probably half as many as we expected going into the game too. And if, you know, you just double what their production was on those 20 carries, you're at 180 yards. It's probably would have been a lot less still than what we thought, but it, I think maybe more respectable. Um, so I, I don't know. Cause I actually thought that they gave Pine pretty good time throwing the ball for the most part. Um, but you're right on the other side of the ball. I don't know what was going on there. Um, I think our defensive line was tired, and I think that I still have no idea why we just blitzed our linebackers every play when they never got home. Um, that's a conversation 
a larger conversation about just Maris Leofal potentially having the worst season by a Notre Dame linebacker ever um, for a guy that played more snaps than anybody. But um, that was really the more frustrating thing to me because I, I do think they were put in a hole with the injuries they had in the secondary. And though Jaden Mickey was atrocious, um, I thought the rest of the, def- the defensive secondary was good to admirable. So you really can't put too much on them in, in this one. Yeah, Notre Dame certainly didn't get off to a good start. That that hurt. And we talked in the pregame about how important it was to get off to a fast start. Notre Dame's first drive stalls. Thank God USC was getting cute near the goal or near the red zone in their second attempt. Uh, they tried to throw that pass to Caleb Williams. That didn't work. Hell, his pass interference saved an interception, um, and that could have turned things around completely. But once Notre Dame was down, it was really hard to establish run. Another thing that I should mention is that Audric Estime uh, apparently had turf toe coming into the game. He only had six carries. He did have a nice uh, reception, caught a ball in the flat, took it 31 yards. But I think that injury hampered him. And and and, and you mentioned the injuries to Cam Hart and Tariq Bracey. We did not know that Tariq Bracey was a late scratch. And it took us a few series in the crowd to realize that Bracey was out. And that is just an absolutely huge loss. Ben Morrison is probably the most talented corner on the team now, but you look at the season as a whole and Tariq Bracey has had by far the best season of any Notre Dame defensive back. So you lose two of your three best corners and you got to go against one of the best passing offenses in college football. That's uh, that's not really a recipe for success more often than not. Right. And yeah, maybe, I mean, Bracey's dad must have known it because that's why he was trying to hammer IPAs at halftime because uh, he's <laughs> like, I don't want to watch this team out there. My son's not even out there. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know that enough credit has been given to that. The fact that those guys did not play because Bracey, like not only the probably most consistent defensive back they've had this year, I, I would argue go as far as saying the most consistent defensive player they've had this, this year, um, just from start to finish week one to, to week 11, basically. So yeah, huge loss, uh, <clears throat> huge loss without a doubt. All of that said, none of USC's receivers particularly killed Notre Dame. I think the, the, the production was spread around a bit. Addison, who Morrison was lined up against for most of the night, and I thought did a pretty good job on him. He had three catches for 45 yards. And how many of those came on that just Caleb Williams play where he ran around for forever? There were about like six holding calls that didn't get called. And then he just kind of lobbed it up to him where there wasn't a defender within 10 yards of him, which is not on the secondary because you can't hold coverage for 15 seconds. So I actually thought they did a pretty good job against some pretty talented receivers. I, I would agree. And one thing about USC is they just have so many different guys to throw at you on the outside. Like you look at their at the box score and how many different guys caught a ball. Yeah. And they're just throwing a bunch of different guys at you. And the holdings, the, the missed holdings at different points in the game were egregious and they were costly for sure. But I would say that that wasn't the reason Notre Dame lost. Like, do you think some of that is just like the holding doesn't get called because the refs themselves are so like, just caught up in the moment, like, holy shit, how is this guy still running around back here? Like, because, like, hold or not, like, some of the things he did to get away from sacks or tackles is just like, whoa, how did he get out of that? Do you think the refs are caught up in that so then they just don't throw the flag? No doubt, dude, because they're probably like, how is this play still happening? And they get in a routine, and then they see this, and everything's extended. Notre Dame finished the game with 21 missed tackles and like we get it Caleb Williams is really special he's extremely elusive 21 I mean have some damn pride at some point and bring him down 
Like that's embarrassing. Yeah. Um, you know, I thought they kind of looked a step slower just defensively in general. Um, and I thought that maybe some of that was due to just chasing him around all night. But it was interesting to hear Mike Goolsby say this on the Mike Goolsby show that like there's kind of just a general malaise to the L.A. Coliseum. And he's like, every time Notre Dame plays out there, they just look slower than USC. And while in the early 2000s, that was true. I don't think it's true now. And I think we've shown that against faster opponents. Um, and I kind of think it does go back to the atmosphere of that place. It's kind of dead. It's a really weird stadium where like the concourse is separated from the field. And I don't know. That's, that place sucks, I guess, is what I'm trying <laughs> to say. Uh, and, it, and it, I think, has an impact on the players. I, I could see that. Um, but the biggest thing to me is just the, some guys that you absolutely needed to make plays. The way Notre Dame was structuring their defense, like given all the injuries in the back end, you needed guys like Riley Mills and Justin Adamiola to step up. Jason had a great game. Jason had five tackles, had two tackles for loss, half a sack combined with Foskey, who also played really well. I thought J.D. Bertrand, you know, he didn't always get home, but he was a disruptor on defense as well. And you mentioned Maris Leofau not doing anything, and, and which is odd too, right? Because you would think that the thing that he's best at is when he's able to just go after the quarterback with no regard and can be as violent as he, as he can be. And it was uh, not the case on Saturday. Well, here's the thing. That is what he tries to do every play, but he just runs straight into the lineman. It's like he's being taught to take on the block. It's 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 really weird, honestly. Um, but he it like this is not a quote for me. This is one of our other friends who said this. Like if the Heisman wasn't a word for just running into lineman as hard as possible, he would win it because that's yeah. what he does every fucking play. It's not a stat to just collide hard <laughs> with the offensive lineman. Like that's not how it works. You've got to shed that and then. You know, if you want to lay the wood on someone, the quarterback would be a good start. Maybe the ball carrier. But I'll just even take anyone other than a lineman right now. It was just, I, I don't know what happened to him. And, and part of it could be injury. Because when you think about the discourse that we had going into the 2021 season, prior to his season-ending knee, or no, not a knee injury, but a leg injury, people were talking about Maris Leofau being the best defender in Notre Dame's fall camp that year and talking about how he was going to lead the team in tackles. He was going to be so versatile, all this stuff. And then apparently at the beginning of this season, he was dealing with an injury. By the end of the year, I, I understand why people want Kali and Snead in. And I would say earlier, I was a little bit hesitant to, to bring them in because clearly the coaching staff doesn't trust them. But at this point, it's like, could it be that much worse? Right. And honestly, I think that in this bowl game, um, they probably did not play Snead against USC just to preserve his red shirt which I get because I think he's played three games at this point, so he can play one more. Um, but so that's fine. Kali played one snap, but not only should they just play them to see what they got there. Like if you, they're watching Maris, they know he stinks. Like if, if they're not going to play in this game, they might just transfer. So I would play them in the pool game and ahead of him and just say, Hey, you have gotten chance after chance. You literally lead the defense in snaps and you suck. <laughs> You know who else went end-to-end in that game on Saturday? Two players in Notre Dame's defense played every snap. Do you know who they were? Yeah, it was Morrison and Mickey. Morrison? Good. Mickey? Not. I would argue Mickey had a worse game than Maris. Mickey, and now let's be fair to the true freshman. What Benjamin Morrison has done this year makes it pretty hard to evaluate Mickey, right? Because you look at Benjamin Morrison and say, he's a true freshman. Look at the season he's had. That's not common for a true freshman cornerback. Cornerback is an extremely difficult position. What Morrison is doing is awesome. It's not the norm. 
Mickey's final stat line is atrocious. He had four missed tackles. That led the team. When USC was throwing at him, four for four, 71 yards. He had two crucial penalties. And again, going and playing every single snap against a, a team with so much talent on offense is, is not an ideal situation. But we had heard so much in the spring about how confident he was and how he was like a leader on the defense. Clearly, his confidence is shot. And how Notre Dame and how Mike Mickens and how that defensive staff is able to build that back up after a performance like Saturday, I don't want to say it's impossible, but like I, I don't really know how you come back from that anytime soon. Me neither. Um, going to be a long off season. I mean, Clarence Lewis never got there after the Fiesta Bowl, really. So, and honestly, like that's kind of what that performance reminded me of was Clarence Lewis in the Fiesta Bowl. Oh, it's third and seven. Let's play 15 yards off coverage and just let them get a first down right in front of me. Yeah. And the reason you're playing that far off is so that when they catch it short, you go and make the play. And then yeah. he just missed the tackle. It was, it was a really disappointing effort from, from him and, and, from other guys in the Notre Dame team. But there were some positives that Notre Dame can take from that game. And I think we should first mention uh, Drew Pine because we have been hard on him all year. And I, I think that he played probably the best game of his season on Saturday. Now, obviously, there's the inexcusable turnover that crippled any chance of a Notre Dame comeback. But when we talk about the positives, we have to start with Drew. He finished 23 of 26 for 318 yards, had three touchdowns. Especially in the first half, there were some throws that he fit in some really tight windows. So I thought it was a good performance from 10. Yeah, he, he did all you could have asked him to. Obviously, the fumble can't happen. But, um, you know, the fact that you're in a position where basically Drew Pine can't make a mistake or you're going to lose the game, it's just not where you want to be. Um, and that's, I think, maybe a little bit frustrating to me because, yes, I know Caleb Williams is great player, great quarterback. Um, but I think Notre Dame is a better roster than USC. I really do. Like, I think it was a more talented roster than what USC has to share. I mean, this team was still very like patched on the go here with 33 transfers. Um, Notre Dame is a better culture and better roster. So that's why it's a little bit disappointing, but I, I guess that goes to show you the difference a transcendent quarterback can make. Um, totally. But like, I just, I just heard some conversation basically like, Oh, well, you know, this is a playoff team. Notre Dame went toe-to-toe with them. They have a better roster than them besides the quarterback. So I don't want to hear that shit. I just don't. Um, I don't know. That's just me, though. It just shows you how important it is to have a great quarterback in modern college football. Like, it just covers and fills so many gaps and flaws in your team when you have a guy like that at quarterback. Whereas Notre Dame basically got the best game that Drew Pine has ever played in college, and they were still in a position where – they're playing from behind the whole game, and, and he still makes these two. I actually, the the, the pick was Just, yeah. I, whatever. Like he was the trying to make a over. play. That game, Notre Dame was desperate. He tried to make a play. One also encouraging thing on the offense was Deion Colsey. He capped off a strong second half of the year with the best game of his career. I would say he finished with three catches for seventy five yards and a touchdown. But like it's been for the whole second half, every time he catches the ball, it's a huge catch. In the context of the game. And he showed some athleticism. He went up and got it. Like, that's the type of play that we've been waiting to see from him because he's so big and he's such a big target. And it does kind of give you some confidence and optimism going into next season. Like, okay, if Colsey continues to build on that and Tobias Merriweather grows into the player that we hope and expect he can be, 
that's two huge targets for Notre Dame on the outside. And whoever is throwing the ball to him in 2023, that's encouraging. Yeah, I also thought Styles wasn't terrible for once um, <laughs> this year. Four catches for 34 yards looked like he was actually engaged in the game, so that was good. It is a little bit alarming how many weeks Merriweather has missed with this concussion now because that, that means he finished the regular season with one catch, and it was that 45-yard touchdown. Yeah, so he was out for USC. He was out for – definitely out for Boston College. Was he He's out, out for, for Navy. Navy too? Yeah. Yeah, that's – not great. Yeah. They also might just be in a situation where it is his true freshman season. They they might not want to just try and force him in the action. But you're right. If, if a concussion keeps you out for that long, it's definitely something to watch out for going forward. More positively, I, like I mentioned, I thought Ben Morrison did a really nice job on Jordan Addison. He had one pass breakup. That was a really nice play. Um, so that was good to see because, I mean, I think some people were worried, like, okay, what's he going to look like against top talent? And I thought he more than held his own, looked really good out there. Yeah, I thought he did. And also in this defensive secondary, Xavier Watts, he's another player who's quietly had a really good second half. And I, I don't know what Notre Dame is going to do at safety next year. Brandon Joseph is so dead set uh, on going to the NFL. I just don't get it. I'm going to be honest. I don't get it. Like, he's a good player. He's a productive college player. But the conversation about him going into the season, and then we have 12 games to to look at now, and... Notre Dame has had some really good safeties during our lifetimes. Hell, I mean, Harrison Smith, Tom Zbikowski, Kyle McCarthy I thought was really good. When I think about some of the best safeties to come through Notre Dame over the past two decades, Brandon Joseph isn't even close to that discussion. I mean, yeah. Like, look, a lot of people make comparisons to the guy last year that he was replacing, and it's laughable. Yeah, I can't believe I didn't even say Kyle Hamilton. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe I missed that one. That one one slipped. But, yeah, he he came into this season talking a big game, saying he was going to be the next Kyle Hamilton, and – uh he was not. <laughs> <laughs> no. We do got to give one last shout out to number 87 because that was almost certainly his last game in the blue and gold. And he goes out just as you would expect Michael Mayer to do. Five catches, 98 yards, two touchdowns. Yes, the last touchdown was garbage time. The first touchdown was just go up, get it. I'm better than you play. He brings get it down Get tackled again. and pass interference doesn't get called. Doesn't matter. Like, he's just that good. You know he's going to make the play. I'm going to just say it. I think he's the best tight end. I don't want to say Notre Dame history because there was plenty of tight ends before I was born who I never watched. You know, I I, I don't know enough about that to, to make that kind of claim. And also the game was a lot different, especially the tight end position. But, man, it was a pleasure to watch him for these past three years. Yeah. I mean, Dave, like I was going to say, Dave Casper, Ken McAfee might have something to say about it. But in the modern era, I don't think there's any doubt um, that he was the best of this long line of really good tight ends. He's one of the very few, like, day one to end day contributors in my lifetime, and it was it was really a, a privilege to watch him play the last three years. And he's one of those players that is sort of transcendent in the sense that his impact, I think, will be felt after he leaves Notre Dame. Like, we've heard a ton about his work ethic and how he sort of continued that standard. Like, if you want to win a championship in college football, you need your best players to be the hardest workers. And by all accounts, Michael Mayer was that. Kyron Williams, similar story. And if Notre Dame is able to keep that going, you know, next year, as we got younger guys kind of coming into their own, they're going to take on bigger roles. And they're going to be, like, I'm thinking guys like Audrick Estime, Logan Diggs, who... 
They're going to be veterans now. They're not underclassmen anymore. They've got to be the hardest workers and set the tone. And it, hopefully that they were able to look at what Michael Mayer has done during his time here and, and keep that going. And it started before him. But as we turn to the offseason here, and I know Notre Dame still has a bowl game, but like you're already hearing the news about the coaching carousel, transfer portal guys. Guys are going to be in and out. We're going to have some news. Um, I'm not reporting anything, but I'm just saying that like odds are we're going to have coaches leave. Things are going to happen. So as that all goes down and Marcus Freeman has time to sort of reflect on the year and look ahead, what do you think his top priority should be going forward? I think getting the right people on board that allows Notre Dame to more effectively navigate the transfer portal um, because you shouldn't be doing what USC is doing and just buying a built team. Um, that's not what that's for at Notre Dame, but it should help you fill gaps where you've missed or players haven't developed in the past. And I, I think there's some obvious spots. I mean, quarterback is one we've talked about, and, and this doesn't even necessarily have to be as a starter, but somebody who's going to make that job a legit competition next year. I think you need to get some at linebacker um, to back up Snead and Collie and tell Maris to move on. Um, I don't care if Bertrand and Kaiser are back. I actually would welcome them back, but they'll be back. I just at least Bertrand. Bertrand is pretty openly. Yeah, and then I think you should continue to stockpile at the skill position, so wide receiver, um, wherever. But yeah, I think the portal is number one for me. I, I would agree with that. It's 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 number one for me as well. And look at USC and like you mentioned, Notre Dame is never going to be in a situation where they're trying to buy players and stockpile their roster full of transfers, nor should they. That's not what Notre Dame is about. And there have been some reports that Notre Dame is, uh, or people on the Notre Dame side are optimistic about where Notre Dame is going to go from here in regard to the portal. But as I've said before, like I transferred to Notre Dame, and obviously I'm not a football player, and Notre Dame is not going to make exceptions for me. But I can say that the process, like the application, all the steps you need to take in order to transfer to Notre Dame is so much harder and more strenuous than every other school. So not only is Notre Dame going to have to make exceptions for football players trying to come in, that, that they do that in high school too. Like that's not, that's not anything new. They have to figure out a way to expedite the process because a lot of these transfers, like they go into the portal, they don't want to sit around and wait. And if they're like picking between schools and they got to do a bunch of additional steps at Notre Dame, it just makes it harder. And it'll be something to watch for because like, let's just look at Notre Dame's 2021 class, right? We just talked about Brandon Joseph. Not a single defensive back in that class is worth a damn. None. Kari G transferred. Justin Walters hasn't done anything on the field at Notre Dame and doesn't look very promising to do anything anytime soon. Philip Riley, nothing. Like, this is a situation where, okay, you kind of whiffed on a recruiting class. You need to go in the portal and fill that hole or else – these issues are going to compound, and and you'll end up playing Jade and Mickey against uh, Caleb Williams <laughs> for every snap, every snap. So they're not they're always going to be a developmental program, and they should be. That kind of leads me to my next point. Like we're back in that time of year when recruiting is going to kind of take over everything, and we know that Notre Dame is in a really strong position right now with their 2023 class. You and I sort of have a similar mindset about recruiting. Like we follow it, but let's wait until the guys actually put pen to paper. And, and are for sure going to Notre Dame if, because there's so much bullshit that happens in the interim. Like, was it last week Jeremiah Love, like, removed Notre Dame from his bio and the message boards went insane? 
Yeah, that's not the direction I thought you were going. I thought you were just talking about college football in general. Like, how about yesterday? The fact that Luke Fickle went to Wisconsin or Hugh Freeze getting hired by Auburn today. Like, there's just going to be some weird stuff, I think, in the coaching carousel, too, that I'm sure ultimately will have some impact on Notre Dame staff one way or another. Okay. I just, I'm going to put you on the spot here. If you were to give a percentage, what are the odds that Freeman, Reese, and Golden, the, the same trio, we have all three back next year in the same same positions? I would say like 65%. I would agree. And I, and I couldn't tell you which way I'm going or like, well, okay, obviously Freeman's going to be back. But I mean, of the two um, coordinators, I, I don't know. But like I just 65 feels reasonable just because I think there has not – Notre Dame has not had a fourth-year offensive coordinator in at least 20-plus years. Um, so I, I, I don't know. But um, that's just – that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I think so. But like last year proved, you – can't really let anything surprise you nowadays. There's people constantly moving, guys switching jobs, and they try to poach. And Notre Dame is a good staff. And when you have a good staff, other schools are going to want to try to get in on that. So that'll be something to follow. How does how does Notre Dame retain its current staff? And if and when some assistants do leave, how does Notre Dame fill them? Because last year, Marcus Freeman was basically learning on the fly, like how to hire a staff. And I think overall, he did a good job. But you know, after a year at the helm. That's that's going to be something he might look at differently. Um, sort of in that vein, I think Notre Dame needs to figure out the offensive identity, starting with the quarterback. Now, we know that Freeman wants to be offensive line, defensive line driven. That's great. And I think that should continue to be the case. But when Tyler Buckner went down, that completely changed everything, as it does anytime you lose your starting quarterback. But the offense had to completely flip between Buckner and Pine because they're just very different players. I don't really think that should be the case going forward. Like, obviously, guys are going to be different. Some guys are going to be better at some things than others. But you would hope that you want guys in that room specifically who are at least somewhat comparable to each other in terms of what they're good at so that so that if one guy goes down, the next guy can at least run some similar stuff. And that makes it easier on everyone. So it's not just about, like, getting a star QB in the transfer portal. It'd be something like, all right, can we get some offensive identity or just some foundation going into next year? Yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, I guess they technically were recruited by different offensive coordinators. Um, so there is that. But yeah, no, I think that makes sense. Yeah, I'm not like blaming that on Freeman, but it's something to follow because last year he was like, Tommy Reese is the head coach of the offense. And assuming he's back next year, which we both think he will be, that quarterback position is going to be something we're talking about constantly, right? Like who does Notre Dame get in the portal? Cade McNamara, put his name in the portal today. That could be a potential option. Hell, he was committed to Notre Dame at one point when he was in high school. How would you feel about Cade going to Notre Dame? No, thanks. <laughs> Is it just because he was at Michigan? No, he kind of reminds me of Drew Pine. Um, Drew Pine didn't just, go to the college football playoff. I know, but I know, but I, I just, uh, no thanks. He, he can go to Iowa. <laughs> yeah, that that could actually be his most likely destination. What Notre Dame does in the portal is going to be something that we're all going to talk about all off season long, but most importantly at that quarterback position. But that's a wrap for this episode of Sons of Saturday Irish. We will not be doing a preview episode this week because there's no game to preview, at least uh, not right now. We will be back soon though for our 100th episode of the podcast. So keep an eye out for that on our social media channels, which you can find at Sons of Set Irish. For Luke and myself, thank you guys for tuning in today. And we'll talk to you again soon once we know where Notre Dame is headed for the bowl game and discuss 
any news that comes up between now and then, because as you know, there is never a dull moment when it comes to Notre Dame football. So we'll talk to you then. Bye.